Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Shattuck. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen, Michael Trout, and Lori Thomas conclude their two-part discussion on his seventh video, The Hope-Filled Parent, Meditations for Foster and Adoptive Parents of Children Who Have Been Harmed. All of Michael Trout's videos and books are available at the TKC store at tkcchattock.org. Get a 20% discount on all Michael Trout materials when you type TROUT20 at checkout. That's T-R-O-U-T and the number 20. So hello out there listeners and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm Karen Doyle Buckwalter from Chaddock and I am your host for the podcast. So it's so good to be back today with our continuing series with Michael Trout. I've been speaking with Michael for a number of weeks about um, the topics within his entire video collection that he made that is to educate both parents and professionals about attachment issues, trauma issues, and these sorts of things in babies and children and adolescents and So here we are again, switching it up today a little bit. We are going to have a second guest here with Michael, and her name is Lori Thomas, and she has collaborated with Michael on a number of projects, uh, including a book called The Jonathan Letters, uh, which we will be talking about uh, with them at some point. But today, what we're going to be talking about is... Lori's involvement with a meditation CD called the Hope Filled Parent, Meditations for Foster and Adoptive Parents of Children Who Have Been Harmed. And Lori contributed some poetry to this work, and that's why we're having her join us on the podcast today. So, of course, you all know about Michael's background. I've had him on repeatedly, and Lori's been on the podcast before, too. But I do want to share a little bit of Lori's background, since um, some of you may be less familiar with her. So Lori has an MA in professional counseling, and as I mentioned, is the co-author of the Jonathan Letters, which she and Michael composed uh, from letters back and forth to them, and they wrote that in 2005. It's a book about caring for and adopting a child with attachment difficulties. She's also a contributing author to Attachment Theory in Action, Building Connections Between Children and Parents which is a really great book. If some of you haven't looked into, you might want to. Um, She is an active advocate and public speaker on children's issues. She's the mother of seven children, three through birth and four through adoption. She served on the board of directors of the Association for the Treatment and Training in the Attachment of Children for nine years. Lori's energy, knowledge and warmth have made her a sought-after speaker for many groups involved with foster and adopted children. She lives in Northern Virginia with her husband, Paul, their youngest child, and two dogs. And she currently, since finishing her uh, master's degree, is a counselor in residency at Emmaus Family Counseling Center in Ashburn, Virginia. On a personal note, 
Lori is one of my dearest, closest friends and has taught me so much about being a therapeutic parent and just about being a parent in general. And so I'm so happy to welcome her along with Michael to the podcast today. So we'll be back in just a few seconds with the beginning of the interview. This spring, sought-after speaker and trainer Karen Doyle Buckwalter and trauma-informed school specialist Josh Carlson are coming together for one-day workshops you won't want to miss. On May 1st in Denver, Colorado, and June 5th in Atlanta, Georgia, Lessons from the Toughest Kids features practical, evidence-based strategies for working with challenging children and adolescents. You'll experience engaging lecture, discussion, and role-play with proven strategies from over 25 years of working with some of the nation's most complex children. Go beyond theory and book knowledge with Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Josh Carlson, May 1st in Denver and June 5th in Atlanta. Tickets are on sale now. Visit tkcchattock.org or find us on Facebook. So welcome back for part two of our interview with Michael Trout and Lori Thomas uh, talking about uh, this wonderful collection of work on the Hope-Filled Parent. So Lori, I wanted to move to uh, one of the poems or readings um, that you contributed, which was, what were we thinking? And tell us about that a bit. And then I would like to, um, you know, ha ha have you have you share it and read it. So go ahead and tell us where that came from, how that sprung from you. Okay, I'd be happy to. So when Michael asked me to contribute a piece like this, we were in the midst of raising several children, and one in particular was really a challenge. And everything listed in this piece is something that we were experiencing with him. And um, it's it wasn't uncommon for us, for my husband and I, to sit back at night and say, what were we thinking? And it was a real question. What were we thinking? We already had this many children and we decided to add more. We already had these challenges and we added different kinds of challenges. What on earth were we thinking? It reminds me a little bit of the, um, if you've seen the instant family movie, when the parents go into their room at night and devise a scheme to kind of like undo this, this placement. And I love that scene. I know a lot of adoptive parents who love that scene because it gives voice to that whole question of, did we really know what we were doing? Can we really do this? And of course, the scene ends with them saying, of course, we're not really going to do that. But it sure was fun to think about for a minute. It sure was fun to contemplate undoing that which we've done because this is really, really hard. And I think it's important for parents to feel free to have those thoughts. It's not a terrible thing to question what they're doing and whether they can be doing it and what kind of help they need to continue doing it. I think it's a really important thing for them to be free to acknowledge that, that struggle that they're having. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, if I could just add any of your uh, listeners who decide to to listen to this CD and hear um, this this one, what were you thinking? We'll get to know 
something about Lori that I learned slowly over time was one of the secrets to survival of their family in the face of all that, that they were doing. And that was a crazy sense of humor. So part of what 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 were we thinking? She, she really kind of means that exactly as she asks it, kind of like a smack in the middle of the forehead, but with a lot of laughter. And I I didn't know about that before I met Lori and her husband. I, I didn't I don't I'm not a very funny guy myself, and um, I don't treat many things as if they're funny. And I would ask Lori in this correspondence that we had for a few years that eventually led to the book, The Jonathan Letters, I would ask her, who are you people? She described her husband as a military guy, and I pictured, oh my God, that'll never work. He'd probably be really tough and stern. And then I met him much later, and it turns out he is all of that, but he also has red hair, and he's ridiculously funny. And he has a fluffy bathroom. I mean, that was the oh, real yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So part of the answer to the question uh, always, I think, has got to be the, the question, who are you people that are trying to raise this child? If there's humor there, if there's if what if either the mother or father is funny or can see things as funny, oh my gosh, what a difference it makes. Mm, yes. Humor goes a long way. Raising yes. any children, humor goes a long way. Yes, yes. So Lori, let's let's have you read for us. Okay, I'd be happy to. Just, Just when, when I, I thought the neighbors, the neighbors had begun to had accept begun. us, when we were finally invited to the 4th of July picnics and folks waved at us sometimes, we decided to do something silly. And now we are outsiders once more. What were we thinking? We were thinking we had enough love to share with a very hurt child. We wanted him, and he certainly needed us. Did we think that by accepting him, our neighbors would smile and say to us, Welcome? What were we thinking? Now we are outsiders once more. The sweet lady next door caught our son urinating in her favorite flowers. She scowled as she brought it to our attention, and I can't say that I blame her. What were we thinking? Oh, I remember. We were thinking that we've had our own share of hurts, and our hearts broke when we heard about his. We were thinking that we have overcome much and we might have what it takes to help him overcome even more. We were thinking that we have a lot to offer and that we would regret not trying. We were thinking we're pretty experienced at turning a deaf ear to naysayers while still listening to wisdom when we stumble upon it. We want to make a small difference if we can. So you say it's a tough battle we've entered. No biggie. Our son's life depends on it. We are willing to give what we have, fight when necessary, ask for help when needed, and relinquish Title II, most popular folks on the block. Yawn. Yeah. That's, That's what, what we, we were thinking. thinking. You know, I have to say, 
that the incident with the flowers wasn't um, the biggest. I think um, the incident of urinating on the restaurant wall was even bigger. And you have to be able to look at those things and and laugh and find a way to make it bearable on that day. And if you can package a way to get parents to laugh or to allow them to laugh while a child is urinating, I believe it was a window of the restaurant, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. It was. And the, the benefit in that moment was that my child happened to be a black child and I was there with a black friend. And so I turned to her and said, nobody here believes that's my child. You go get them. <laughs> it was a wonderful moment. It really it worked out well for me, that moment. Um, if I believe that the more that parents hear other parents struggling with these big moments and hearing about these things, it will kind of give um, maybe a little permission to find humor in it. Wow, I'm not the only one who's had my son urinate on a public window with a bunch of nice people eating inside and looking at him doing this. You know, it might help for them to hear that other people have struggled with these things and, um, and survived it. Mm -hmm. It's not the end of the world. It might feel like it at the moment, but it's not the end of the world. Yes. Yeah. Again, as we were talking about earlier, it's, I'm not the only one. Others have lived through this. Others have survived this. We can keep going. Mm -hmm. Finding some way to connect. I know Michael pointed us to the attached conference. There's a lot of places where people can connect with other families who are going through this, whether it's online or in person, I think is really, really vital to families too. To hear other stories and know that hey, these people get it and they and they make it. You know, it's it's okay. Yeah, I have to be honest and share in my own clinical practice. That's been kind of a mixed bag. It it really depends who you connect with. Um, I've seen um, that go both ways, but the overall premise I 100% agree with, and this has been demonstrated by the Illinois Adoption Preservation Project, a great research project that the most helpful thing in preserving placement has been adoptive families interacting with other adoptive families. Um, so, um, agree with that 100% and this is you know this the CD's kind of a little way to be interacting with someone else who's been there right um, you know when we play these with families parents often tear up because it's like yes wow again going back to what we talked about earlier someone gets it I don't feel so isolated and so crazy or like what is going on like this is just I have no idea what to do I mean you might feel like that but knowing somebody else felt that way too helps right absolutely yeah so thank you so much for that Lori and I couldn't agree more about sense of humor remember you mentioned the attached conference and a couple years ago Michael you weren't 
you were at the conference, but I don't think you were there. You weren't there at the moment, but I was with um, Lori and and Tiff Junker, and the two of them were just going back and forth on what was going on in their families, and it was like a comedy act. It reminded me of that that old that old show that many of our listeners won't even know. Can you top it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was, but they. On one hand, they were major crisis things. I mean, problems with legal issues and ER situation, you know, like they were serious things, but somehow both of them kept this somehow amount of humor to it all that was just felt like it just kept you afloat hearing the you know that that was what kept them afloat and to have the two of them together playing off of each other. I said, this should be a workshop. Like the way that you guys think about this and handle this and do this should be like a workshop. Um, so yeah, so I agree with that so much. So so Michael, let's move on to. I know um, you you asked Dan Hughes. Let, could you share a little bit about the contributions of others on this? Um, I know we probably don't have time to go into everyone, but um tell us a little bit about who you who else you reached out to and and their contributions and how that came together i want to particularly give credit also to dan siegel um i i have a tendency to 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 not uh how can i say to not emphasize fluff with parents so I don't say to things to them like be positive or look on the bright side or any of that kind of garbage. Um, especially not when they're telling me that the one thing that they can think of when they wake up in the morning is maybe today I won't kill him. Uh, for me to respond with, well, gee, what are your goals for today would be pretty uh, out of tune. So I was looking for a meditation that might uh, not be fluff but might be a little bit positive, might be the sort of thing that a parent could at least listen to, if not say themselves, that would set them up for the day. What is it I mean to do today? And I looked to Dan Siegel um, in his 2007 book, uh, The Mindful Brain. He has a concept, he just uses a, a, an acronym, COAL, C-O-A-L. Uh, and I built a meditation uh, around that simple concept. So it's short, maybe I could read that? Yes, that would be excellent. Just for this one day, by the way, on the CD, my wife, who has one of the world's loveliest voices, reads this. It's much better than some old guy with a deep voice. Just, Just for this, for this one, one day, day let, let me look, look upon, upon my, my child with curiosity, openness, acceptance, and love. Let me imagine his eyes before they filled with fear, before they filled with rage, before they became faraway eyes, searching for something I couldn't see. Let me imagine that those eyes once saw things that no child should see. Let me imagine that this child, just for this day, needs for me to remember where he came from and all that he once saw, and to hold a vision for him of where he can someday go. I can't fix it all, 
Just for this one day, though, let me do my little part. Curiosity, Curiosity openness, openness, acceptance, acceptance love. Mm, yes. Wow, so good. So, so good. And I don't think I noticed the, the acknowledgement at the bottom before to Dan Siegel. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. And then many who will listen to this will know the name of Dan Hughes because he's just preeminent in our highly specialized field. He's written a number of books uh, about and for uh, parents of uh, children who have suffered severe loss and trauma. And I turn to him more directly than anybody else, I think, um, because I learned that he had been writing little notes to himself over the years, little mini poems. Um, and he agreed that he that uh, he could take some of those and maybe turn them into uh, pieces, you know, little poems that could be read by a young child or a grown-up. And maybe I could read just one of those. Yes, that would be great. I think that would be wonderful as we move to wind down. The voice on this one is, is that of my a very precious um, niece, who is now in college, but was at the time about three or four. When you brought, this is called Your, your Sweet, sweet persistence. persistence. When you, you brought, brought me, me to your house, house from the empty from the land, empty lands. I hoped for days with food, clothes, not much work, not too hot, not too cold, and nights without fear, pain, or touch. It never occurred to me to want more. I didn't know there was more. It was months before I knew enough to know the real meaning of the empty lands. And the memory of them became even more painful. I discovered the pain of discovering what was missing. Not knowing love, I was terrified of your love, thinking that I would no longer exist if I accepted it. And then when, not if, you took it away, I would be nothing. It was your gentle presence, your sweet persistence, in touching me with your smile and voice and teaching me that these touches were called comfort, care, compassion, companionship. It was your loud laugh, your merry eyes, that led me from safety to happiness to rising ripples of joy that carried me home and hurled me up among the stars. For the most part, worse for wear, a so now, as I reflect on my life and the empty lands, I feel sadness for my unseen self, but not fear or shame. Forever ago, years from now, take your bow. 
you, my parents, finding me and loving me, fill me with gratitude, with comfort, with, with pride, pride, with joy. So good. I love that one. Um, it, it's such a hopeful one. I mean, it's sad, it's honest, but it's also hopeful too. And I would hope that parent listeners might catch on that a real testimony from a kid. Who yeah. says, I, I didn't think much of you at first. And mostly you made me miserable because you made me start thinking about what I didn't used to have. And I was scared to take anything from you. But here, now let me just list the three or four things you gave me. Yes. So, so nice. So good. Well, that's a beautiful way to end our discussion today. Um, I'm so glad to have been able to meet with both of you. I'm so glad that you created uh, this CD. It's brought so much encouragement and hope to so many families that I've worked with. And I want to thank both of you from my heart for the contributions that you have made for the kids that we work with. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future episodes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.